We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right. Enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me again, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. It is our first episode where we're going to have a guest. First guest. Kyle, pretty pretty big name in the uh, in the NFL draft internet world. It's Danny Kelly of the Ringer. He's with us right now. Danny, thanks for thank you so much for joining us, man. How's it going? Absolutely. Uh, it's going well. I, I did not know that I was the first guest, so I'm honored to have that distinction. Thank you. Yeah, so now now really don't screw it up because <laughs> there's a lot of pressure here. Yeah, we figured it'd be a nice thing for you to put on your resume. <laughs> so you can maybe talk to Bill Simmons about a raise or something like that. Uh, I'll email him directly after this. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds Did good. Did you know man. I was so- on the Candlestick Chronicles podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so Danny, first I want to say you you're doing some awesome stuff at the Ringer and, and the draft guide that you've put together is really awesome. Um, really good content. Good way to digest it. So if you haven't taken a look at the uh, the Ringer NFL Draft Guide. I highly in- encourage you to do so. Uh, we're going to talk draft with Danny, and, and we're going to start uh, right at the top. And, and I think the, the biggest discussion point heading into the draft, maybe at least from the 49ers' perspective, is is all this smoke surrounding Kyler Murray. And, yeah. and Danny, I, I know at the Combine we were both there, uh, it really picked up that, that it seems like he's going to be the number one overall pick, potentially letting you know Nick Bosa fall to San Francisco at number two. Yeah, 
where are you at with, with Kyler Murray and all this? And and is there so much <laughs> smoke that that maybe you know some, something crazy happens and he he ends up not going number one, or maybe another yeah. team trades into that spot? Where are you at with with where things stand with the number one pick? I mean, right now I feel pretty confident that he's going to be the number one pick, but I think, like you said, in the way that you framed it, is there's so much. Uh, it's like almost certainty at this point that he is going to be that pick and that it, there's so many people saying that they're completely sure of it. It's not like a guess anymore. They're like a hundred percent sure that it, it almost feels like it's gone past the point where it's now I'm starting to doubt it a little bit, but um, I, I think, you know, at the, like you said, at the combine, the rumors like reached a fever pitch. It was crazy that everybody was saying, you know, they heard directly from the source or whatever that uh, Kyler Murray was going to be the pick. There's no doubt anymore. And so I think that has really taken hold and I feel pretty confident about it. I just think like if you look at it from like a bigger point of view and the sense that it's new coach, um, I think their GM is probably like getting kind of a, a short leash at this point. And after the year that Josh Rosen had, um, I kind of look at this like they're not taking any chance. Like they need to get a quarterback. It's at the point in the like the CBA doesn't limit them from doing that necessarily because they're not going to have to pay him like a ton of money. So they can even if they do keep Rosen, they can have two you know potentially good quarterbacks on their roster. That's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think you know overall just the upside that he brings that Kyler Murray brings the way that he could change that offense, the way he could fit into. Um, the King Kingsbury offense, I think is really intriguing. So overall, I, I just think I, I believe it for the most part, obviously there's still a lot of, um, there's still some time towards the draft. And at this point last year, I think everyone thought Sam Darnold was the first pick overall. So anything can happen. I'm keeping an open mind, but I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident that's going to be the pick. It's something, something you said there was, was interesting. You said that there was a chance they keep Rosen and Murray what are the odds you think that happens? Like if, it, yeah. because a lot of it to me seems contingent on whether they can trade Josh Rosen. I don't think they have to, it doesn't, they don't necessarily have to, um, you know, the, the, like I said, the, in, in previous CBAs where you have to pay the first overall pick a ton of money, uh, it would not have been possible at this point. Um, you know, it's not going to be com- crippling to their, to their salary cap. If they had two quarterbacks under roster or on their roster under contract, um, and they could still kind of go about, you know, developing both of those guys and potentially trading Rosen, you know, down the line if he ends up ever having higher, you know, a little bit higher value. Because I think they want a first round pick for him. And, and right now it doesn't look like they're going to get it. And so, you know, maybe that means they bring Kyler along a little bit slowly and have Rosen out there to begin with. I, you know, I don't know how it exactly work, how the machinations of, of it would work, but I don't think they have to absolutely trade him if they do pick him number one, if they pick Kyler Murray number one, because. You know, it's it's one of those things where, um, I don't know what the cap hit would be, but it it's not going to be crippling. It's interesting this year. It seems like because normally when you have a consensus number one overall pick, it tends to be the number one prospect in the entire class. A couple right. years ago, it was Miles Garrett. A little bit before that, it was Jadavian Clowney. Like there was no doubt those guys were going to go number one. And here, you know, you you canvass the internet a little bit, and it seems like Kyler Murray is. For a lot of people, I know Pro Football Focus has him as their number one overall guy, but there are other places. Maybe he's, you know, number 10 or number 15 or whatever. Just how unique is that for you, do you think, in that, you know, this year there's so much talk about Kyler being number one overall. 
but yeah. he, the consensus is he's probably, you know, maybe a, a top 10 or top 15 prospect and not the clear cut right. number one guy. Right. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't remember exactly how I was feeling like in previous drafts, but I, I do know that this, you know, I think Bosa and Williams are just really freaking good players. And it, it, like they, to me seem like, sure bets to be very very good pros i think there's a lot more risk involved with murray i think that's why he's like on my list he's number 10 overall and on my big board i think he's a very good player but there's a lot of question marks i think that come along with him um and i'm you know very i feel very good outside of injuries for both and williams that both of those guys are going to be just you know pro bowl all pro player potentially um pretty quickly in their career i think they're that good and so it's definitely kind of a strange thing, but th- that's the draft. I mean, th- I think that is actually relatively common. I mean, a couple of years ago, um, Mitch Trubisky went number two, and I think a lot of people were like not even like a lot of people were very low on him in terms of what they were um, their evaluations. And um, I think a lot of people kind of were up and down on, on both Darnold and Mayfield um, in terms of, you know, Darnold had all the turnover issues Mayfield, the the size was a big question mark, and a lot of people were questioning sort of his cocky attitude, which in retrospect is silly. But um, (laughs) I think just, you know, I think the quarterbacks, there's very few really perfect quarterback prospects. And um, I think this year there's there's even less certainty about all of these guys. So I think that's what kind of makes it feel so kind of crazy that like if you pick a a quarterback number one, you're going to be missing out on like really, really good players at other positions. So I think it might be a little bit different just based on the the quality at the very top, the blue chip talent at the top of the draft. Why do you think Nick Bosa is, is at the top of the, at uh, the top of draft boards? Like what, what makes him such a kind of can't miss type prospect? I just think he has, I mean, he has it all really what you look for uh, the pass rusher, or, you know, edge rusher position. I think, Number one, he's got very good size. He's extremely athletic. He's explosive. Um, he's able to bend. He's very powerful with his hands. Um, you know, he's just a skilled, very, very skilled pass rusher who also happens to be, you know, an elite physical talent. And so I think put it all together and he has the type of potential to me to be a, a high impact player very early on. Like just the way he's built. Um, he's not long and spindly like some of the other pass rushers in this pat in, in this group that kind of like raise questions. I, I'm thinking of Brian Burns and Montez Sweat. Both of those guys, their their frame is a little bit different. He's he's rocked up. He's like very muscular. Like he just looks like just his brother basically. And so I just think you know overall his his skill set is really complete, um, pro ready type type skill set. And so I think you know a lot of guys you come, you come into the league you have to learn different pass rush moves and all that. He's already got a couple like in his repertoire. And so I think he's just, he's, he's going to be really good right away. Yeah. We're, we're kind of to the point where Niner fans have talked about Nick Bosa for so long that people yeah. m- might be overanalyzing him and, and okay, what, what's wrong with him. And I think something people might point to is, is maybe just a lack of a super explosive first step on tape, at least compared to guys that, you know, get drafted that highly, like, uh, you know, Von Miller, for example, or mm-hmm. Khalil Mack. But then you look at his 10-yard split, and it's 1.55, which is faster than Von Miller and Khalil Mack <laughs> and would be one of the one of the fastest 10-yard split times of any edge rusher in the NFL. But yet, I'm, you know, I'm glad you said that because I was going to be like, ah, I kind of think he's got a really explosive first step. <laughs> you do? Okay. Yeah. Because I've seen people say, and maybe it's... um. 
you know, maybe there are some visual elements, <laughs> let's just say, that that might have people thinking that uh, Wait, he what do doesn't you mean? have. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I read you. I read you. <laughs> so, but do do you think? I mean, so it sounds like you you don't have any uh, any qualms or questions about his his overall explosiveness and athleticism. No, I, take I, it. I think you know, I'm just picturing his get off. I think it's. I mean, you know, maybe there's guys that have a little bit better explosive get off, but I, I really think he he's very fast with his first step. And um, the other thing is his ability to sort of like play, like he's not just attacking the edge. A lot of times he's taking one step outside and then put and then countering inside. He, he you know, he's got that physicality to rush inside. He's very, very strong with his hands. So he, he doesn't just rely on his outside move. And so maybe there's, that impression that like a lot of the times he's doing these counters and, he, and he's using his power. And so that maybe like kind of, you know, distracts from his first step. But to me, I, I look at his, his rush when he springs out of a, a three or four point stance to me, he looks really explosive. And so, yeah, when you were first saying that, I was like, Oh, I kind of disagree with that. Cause I, I, I just think his, his first step is very good. It might not be, you know, I don't know. Like you said, the, the 10 yard split is really good. So I think that, you know, the proof is in the pudding there, but, you know, it just I think you can you could maybe get distracted by the fact that he's rushing on some inside moves, too. And that might kind of, you know, make it look like he's not quite as explosive. So let's say Bosa does go first and the 49ers are sitting there at two with like Josh Allen and Quinn and Williams or a trade back available. Uh, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan and even Jed York, the team CEO, have been really vocal about uh, being open to trading back. So let's mm-hmm. say Bosa goes first. Is Quinn and Williams so good that it's like, hey, you can't pass on that guy at number two? Or is it a scenario where they can trade back and maybe find an edge rusher and address their top need while skipping on Williams? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough because I I, I really like Quinn and Williams. And I've said this a couple of times in the past, like Bosa and Williams to me are 1A and 1B. There's very little separating them. I think, you know, obviously you could talk about the value of, of an outside rusher versus an inside rusher in the sense that, you know, I think Bosa is probably a, just a tick above him because edge rushers, generally speaking, have been viewed as more valuable. And that, that might be true. I, I think you could make the argument either way, frankly. But um, I think in the 49ers case, since they already have a very good interior pass rusher in Buckner, um, they I think they could definitely survive if they want to trade back and get more guys. I, you know what I mean? Like, I think I, I wouldn't necessarily think it was a terrible move if they did that. Um, because like, like I said, they've got that guy already. Um, and you know, if you could get a haul for that number two pick, I bet. And you can, you, you can look at improving your defense at multiple positions. Um, you could pick up, you know, another linebacker, another defensive back, another edge rusher. Um, I think you could easily make the argument that, Overall, that's improving your defense a little bit more than adding one guy. But at the on the other hand, I like him so much that I think I would almost prefer that they just sit there and take Quentin Williams because I think, like I said, he's going to be a. I think he'll be a Pro Bowler pretty early on in his career. He's just so good, and the idea of pairing him next to Buckner in, in like sub packages on third downs and stuff, like no one they played would ever have a good pocket. <laughs> I just think it'd right. be, I just think it'd be really you know impactful for them. So. I can I can definitely argue for for either case, and I, I don't think I'd necessarily look at it as like a bad move if they trade it back at that spot. Um, but I do think Quinn and, Williams, Quinn and Williams is that good that I think it would be a good pick if they if they were there at two. 
Yeah, so well, one of the interesting developments from, from the Combine was both John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan sort of confirming that the team would be utilizing a lot more wide nine sets. Um, and, and they were mm-hmm. ch- changing the, the profile they, they were looking for at defensive end. And John Lynch specifically spoke about power. I mean, obviously, Bosa is, is a really powerful player and, and is tough to move and, and has really good play strength and things like that. But how do you envision him fitting into a, a wide nine or Josh Allen, too, if it may be compare and contrast the two in terms of how they would fit in that alignment in, in your eyes? Yeah, I think I mean, I, I, I really do think either of those guys would work in a wide nine. Um, you know, I, I don't know what what did he say about power? He thinks it's not as important, or he thinks it's more no. Important. He he was emphasizing power. Yeah, he said um, that the first thing he looks for in changing the profile for their wide nine defensive ends is somebody who plays with a lot of power, and I think that's one of the things that is really sort of sparked Nick Bosa in everyone's mind when it comes to that number two. Pick. Yeah, because I'm just picturing Bosa. You know, his ability to you know, what they call convert speed to power where he, he's so threatening for the outside edge rush that you can just like take one step in and, and bull rush through the left tackle. Like I can just picture him knocking tackles on their ass rushing from the nine from the wide nine spot. I just think that would be asking a hell of a lot for an offensive tackle, you know, because he's, he's lined up so far wide that you have to really kind of get into your set a little bit differently and, you know, account for that that edge a lot more. So. I think it just could. I think he could definitely fit in that. I think Josh Allen is a, a, obviously a different style rusher. He, he didn't do as much from the three point stance in college, um, but he also is. I think he does have pretty good power as a pass rusher. Um, he's just a physical. You know, he's just a really physically talented guy. I I wouldn't think that Allen has quite as many moves and um, quite as much refinement as Bosa. I personally think he's like the the draw with. Allen is less his pure pass rushing and more his versatility in the sense that he can drop back. He can, you know, potentially play linebacker for you. And, in, 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 you know, if you're in a four, three, you could potentially be like a Sam linebacker slash sub package pass rusher or whatever. Um, but I think Bosa is a, a much more prototypical defensive end pass rusher only kind of guy. And I think that's why I would go for Bosa well ahead of Allen. So we, we've talked about, you know, Bosa, Allen, Queen and Williams, and it seems like those are the three guys really on, on the forefront of everybody's mind with that number three pick. But the draft can be uh, crazy. Things can happen. And yeah. is there any scenario that that we're missing? Like, is there can can the 49ers decide to take, you know, do something crazy? Like if Bosa's off the board and take, say, Jonah Williams at two and have their long-term replacement for Joe Staley and then, you know, play him at guard in the meantime. Is it is there a move maybe similar to that of that ilk that nobody's projecting that you think the 49ers <laughs> might try to pull off with early in the first round? Well, my colleague Danny Heifetz just wrote an article about how maybe Kyler Murray <laughs> could go at that spot <laughs> oh, no. and that would shock, shock the world. Um, that was more of like a thought experiment based on, I think, the way that they structured uh, Garoppolo's contract. But, I, you know, that's... Very unlikely to happen, but it was one of those things where like, oh, maybe, you know, are we not considering this as a possibility? Um, That's the most wild one I could come up with. I think uh, Jonah Williams is certainly an option at that spot. He's my number four overall guy. So I think if you want like a 10-year starter on your offensive line, he's the best bet. And, you know, obviously there's there's needs on the defense for the 49ers, but um, getting a very reliable uh, plug-and-play type 
tackle or guard in Williams is, is not necessarily a bad thing at that spot. I mean, you want to get guys that are going to be huge contributors to your team ultimately. So um, the other one, is anybody talking about Ed Oliver at that spot? Because, you know, no. he's, he to me is a prototypical four, three under tackle in the sense like he could rush off the three technique, um, just shoot gaps. Obviously Buckner's already in there, but they're kind of, they're very different styles. Um, and he could also play on the nose, like a tilted nose, I'm just thinking like Brandon Meebane and when, when he was with the Seahawks he used to play that tilted nose and just knock into the center right when he snapped it every time and just kind of disrupt the puck in that way. So, you know, I could see them kind of falling in love with the insane athleticism of Ed Oliver and, and going with him at that spot. But um, apart from that, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's, if there's any other like really good options, I can think of some terrible options that they could do. Yeah. <laughs> <but. laughs> I want to I want to jump over to the other side of the ball. We talked a lot about the defensive side, but the 49ers have a pretty big need uh, at wide receiver, specifically at the Z spot. Now that they've got they've uh, cut ties with Pierre Garcon. And when you look up and down their their depth chart at receiver, there's no real consistent production anywhere. Uh, right. They probably don't go that route in round one unless they trade up uh, from from their number 36 pick up into the back end of round one. But uh, I guess what what type of class, what type of receiver class is this where I got this? Hang on. Where is it? It's there. Um, <laughs> is this a, is, two. is this? Yeah. Is this a, is this a deep enough receiver class that they can get a high quality player on day two or even day three? Oh, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and I and I think there's the cool thing about this class is there's really all different styles of players, like any kind of style of player you want there's going to be a couple different options in anywhere from the second to the fourth round. I think there's just tons of guys that could play that Z receiver spot. Um, where is Pettis slated to play? Is he, is he more of like a slot receiver in that offense particularly, or does he kind of play all over? He's an X. Um, he's okay. most well versed in X mm-hmm. with, with Marquise Goodwin. And I think they want him to, to sort of be the every down guy. And then Goodwin will be more of a Taylor Gabriel type, mm-hmm. more of a part-time guy. So they don't have to, I think one of their problems last year was they sort of lived or died by by Goodwin's availability, and they want to to insulate themselves from from any durability issues with with Goodwin. By, yeah, that makes sense. You know, having Pettis there, but he also has injury issues. But the Z spot is really where there's a big opening. So, yeah, and, and there's just a lot of different guys. I mean, I think guys like AJ Brown, Nikhil Harry, and even Kelvin Harmon can all play that Z spot because I think all of them are good at. They're they're all have the physical profile to play outside, but they also can kind of motion inside and, and go over the middle. And I think that um, you have to have the mentality and ability to kind of go over the middle as a Z spot. Um, so those are the those are the like early guys. I think uh, if they could get Marquise Brown at that spot, that could be a lot of fun. I think just because he, again, he has he can play outside, and and I think he has the speed and everything to get off. Um, well, you don't have to get off press quite as often at the Z spot, but just to be able to get downfield, get past this guy, but he can also go over the middle. You can use, uh, you can use him on screens. He's very good at, after the catch. Um, so, you know, those are the kind of guys that I think in that second round could be an option. Um, and, and I don't know where Hakeem Butler is going to go. Like if, if Butler fell into the second round, do you think the 49ers would, would be interested in that guy? Because he could kind of, I think he can play all three positions really. I do too. Yeah, potentially. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's talked so much about separation skills and the ability to beat man-to-man coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know how much uh, 
Shanahan would would be concerned about Butler's hands and all those drops right. that he had. Um, I think generally he prioritizes those movement skills over size. But one, I, I'm glad you mentioned styles of receiver because there's one guy you didn't mention who I think might be the the prototypical Shanahan style of guy, and that's mm-hmm. Debo Samuel. Yeah, the South Carolina. Do you think he uh, at 36 is that a, about a good spot maybe to take somebody like that? Yeah, I th- I think he's kind of he's had some first round buzz very like a little first round buzz it wouldn't be shocking completely if you went in the first round but I, I think more he's he's more in that you know 35 to 55 range um and i think you're right he's he played outside at south carolina so he's got the experience on the outside um but he's really good over the middle you know and again he's he's very strong after the catch you know picking up yards making guys miss he's almost just like a running back and a receiver playing the receiver position. Um, the other guy that came to my mind was Paris Campbell and mm. he less, obviously he's much less. Um, he was, he was hardly used really as a deep receiver at Ohio state. He's more, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it gadget is always such a, like a negative or a pejorative yeah. or whatever, but <laughs> he was used for, um, screens, um, you know, and, and, uh, going across sweeps and, and just things like that and very short routes and everything like that. But if he could develop into a deep receiver, he's got elite speed. He's very good after the catch, very elusive. Um, so his ability to kind of play like as the Z spot is a bit of a question mark in a pro offense, but I think he's another kind of guy they could be interested in. Um, and then further down the line, like Terry McLaurin, I think has gotten enough buzz that he's probably going to be like a third round pick, maybe even higher. Um, and he's this, he's the same deal. He I think can play all over the, the all over the uh, field in the sense that he could be either on the outside of X or Z, and he can play inside too. And he's super athletic, um, kind of just a reliable guy. So he he's another guy to keep in mind. There's this again. There's a ton of different guys in this class that I think could go in the top 100, and maybe it's not like a. a top heavy cl- receiver class. And since there's like blue chip guys, but I think there's tons of guys in that second and third round that I would love to have on my team. I was under the impression for not under the impression. I had a theory for a long time that the 49ers are going to trade up into the back end of round one and take AJ Brown. Do you see him being available in like the 27, 28, 29 range? Or you think he's long gone by then? <laughs> I have no idea. Honestly, this huh? class is so hard and, and no one has any sort of consensus on where people will be. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get picked in the first round either, honestly. Sure. And it, yeah, it's like, it just depends on the team. It depends on like, you know, one team falls in love with him and it, everything's out the window. Um, but I've seen him ranked as the number one guy on a lot of people's, you know, lists and a little bit further down on, on a lot of others. So it's just really no consensus. I've got him, I believe on the next one, my next release, he'll be my number four guy. I do like him a lot. Um, but I think there's, you know, I just really like a couple other guys more. I like DK Metcalf, just his elite potential. I like Butler a lot. And then Marquise Brown, I have ahead of him on my next release. Hasn't come out yet. I think it'll be next. It'll be later this week, but, um, but then I have AJ Brown. He's he's a high floor guy in the sense, um, you know, like these other guys that we talked about. He, he's very good after the catch, physical. You know, his, his body type is a little bit unique. He's like six foot two twenty six. So he again, he's kind of like a a running back playing the receiver position. He reminds me. I have my comp for him is Quincy Anunua. He also kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, D 
DJ Moore on the Panthers. Sure. Just super athlete can, can make a lot of people miss after the catch, but still needs a little bit of refinement as a, as a, you know, downfield receiver. But um, yeah, I definitely think he could be there in the early in the second round. Well, Danny, as a, uh, as a Seahawks expert and observer, I think we, we have to ask you about what, what teams that, that use that cover three scheme that Pete Carroll scheme look for in the secondary and, and which prospects you think might, match for for the 49ers either day two or, or day three i know yeah they they have some issues in the secondary they they were a revolving door at both safety spots last year um opposite richard sherman it was much of the same story what are there any guys uh that that you're highlighting that really you think fit that scheme that could be possible for the 49ers later in the in the draft yeah so this is a i think if you're looking for a big long fast corner this is a great draft because and I think that's sort of the um, prototype or, or the ideal for both the Seahawks and the 49ers defense now. Um, a couple guys that I like a lot that it's hard to predict where they're going to go. Um, could be, you know, second to fourth round, I, I guess. But a couple guys I really like, um, Joan Williams from Vanderbilt um, and then jo- uh, Jamil Dean from Auburn. Both guys are long, uh, physical you know, just play that, that style of press that I think both teams like they're, they're both capable of playing off coverage as well. Um, but to me, those guys kind of stand out. And the other one's Justin Lane from Michigan state. He's the, each of these guys taller than six foot one. I mean, Joan Williams is six, four. So those guys, I think fit the, fit the bill in the sense of you got length and physicality on the outside and you can use that length and you can use the sideline and that cover three trail position. Um, you know, as a little bit of an extra defender. And so to me, those are those stand, those guys stand out as quote, you know, Seahawks style cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously a lot of teams are using the Seahawks style uh, defense nowadays. So like the Falcons could beat you to the punch, the Seahawks could beat you to the punch, but um, they're not going to fit every defense, I don't think. And so they could fall a little bit based on, on what teams need. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is, I think guys like well Juan Thornhill from Virginia has been making a lot of um, he's been creating a lot of buzz lately. You know, freak really athlete. like him. Yeah, he's another guy. I could see them play him at corner. I think he started out his college career at corner too. And he's you know keep in mind a lot of these safeties. I know the Seahawks in particular like to move safeties back to corner and vice versa. They did that last year. They they drafted or a couple years ago, um, Trey Flowers. They drafted him. He was like six foot three. Played corner in college. They they turned him into a, or sorry, he played safety in college. They turned him into a corner in the NFL, and he started right away. So, I think Thornhill is a prime um, candidate to potentially play corner. And this one's a little bit, maybe sort of a projection, but I think even a guy like Deontay Thompson from Alabama has sort of the corner profile of, of the Seahawks defense, like six one one ninety five. Can you, can you see him sort of like playing on the outside using his length um, and kind of using his aggressiveness on the, on the outside rather than on the inside? So any of those guys I think could potentially be corner prospects for them as well. And I guess a, a more broad question I have, you, you canvas the internet and, and, people have differing philosophies in terms of how to build a defense. And I think a lot of people look at the Patriots and say, this is a team that really values uh, coverage in the secondary and with their linebackers, maybe more than the pass rush. And I think their spending and their draft capital have have reflected that. And what Kyle Shanahan has said 
multiple times this offseason after the team added D Ford and, and it looks like they're going to add another defensive lineman early in the draft is that he's prioritizing building the defense from front to back, which I think is really interesting as somebody who utilizes a passing game a lot, right? Like Shanahan mm-hmm. finds it tougher to go against um, to go against physical defensive fronts than right. maybe a team that that prioritize prioritizes coverage. Where where do you fall on that? Do you, do you think it's more important in this modern NFL to um, to focus on building the secondary, which is what maybe the 49ers aren't doing as much as the front seven? Or are you are you good with what the 49ers might be doing <laughs> from that standpoint? I think I waffle on that. I, I mean, I lean towards having a really good front you know in in terms of just getting creating instant disruption creating um making the quarterback uncomfortable and making him hurry making him you know make bad decisions and all that i think ultimately that can be a bigger impact um than having really good coverage guys in the background because because you really have like if you give any quarterback enough time he's gonna beat you that's i i think that's generally true um but at the same time, I mean, if you look at a team like Kansas City last year, they had an elite pass rush, and their and their pass defense still wasn't very good. So, it's it, it, this is a cop out, but it really is a balance. I mean, you have to have both. You have to have guys that are at least uh, you know adequate in the back end, and uh, and you can't just give a quarterback a ton of time to pass because um, receivers they know where they're going to go. It's just so much harder to to um, keep up with a guy who's big, fast, and and strong downfield when you don't know where he's going to go. It's just, the advantage is almost always on the offense. And so, um, plus the rules are, you know, highly in, in favor of the offense nowadays. So I just think generally speaking, I still lean towards building from the front and, and getting the quarterback off his spot, getting him uncomfortable, making not, not giving him enough time to, you know, make his throw, hit his back foot and make his throw on time and all that. Because I think if you disrupt timing, that's, like the easiest way to to mess up an offense so um i still lean towards that but i do think um i think you need guys in the back end who can do the same deal like uh you know the seahawks style defense worked a lot because they were not just disrupting you know in the front four they were disrupting on the outside sherman's the perfect example i mean he he presses guys he disrupts the timing he he slows them up on their release and he's very very good at the catch point too um, so if you're just disrupting timing and disrupting um, the receivers, that's very, very important too, because football is such a, I mean, it's just timing and, and um, structure based league. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be where you need to be as a receiver. You need to be where you are supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. It's just so difficult uh, to make that work. And so really the, the idea is I'm kind of, you know, just meandering along with this thought right now, but <laughs> the idea is no, you, have to, you, have to, good stuff. you have to disrupt and right. whether you're disrupting on the outside and deep or disrupting up front, um, both are important, but I, I still think it's easier and quicker to do it up front. And so I, I still think building from the trenches is not, a, it's a good idea. Um, but if you can have, if you have a couple of elite safety or a couple of elite corners, that's, that's not going to be a bad thing either. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family, and in most cases with Ethos, 
you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. All right, last question for me, unless I have another one. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so Chris and I are, are both of the mind that the Niners probably go safety and receiver on day two in mm-hmm. some order. What order would you predict that happens? It just based on the depth of the class. I know it depends a lot on how the draft shakes out, but what order do you think they might, they would, they would be best to go in, uh, just based on, on the the quality of players at each position mm, uh, I, I think i lean safety um just because i think it's a deeper class at receiver um you know what i mean like there's i sure. think there's a, a plateau of quality receivers and you can get i think you're going to be able to get a good receiver in like the third and fourth round this year i mean there's just so many guys that are intriguing and have upside um so i think after you get past the first few receivers there's definitely a plateau area of like 10 very good receivers. I mean, for instance, uh, JJ Arcega White said, um, I've seen him, you know, on people's lists, like way down into the third or whatever round. And some guys have him, you know, where he's like a first round talent. Um, there's just no telling it, exactly where he's going to go. I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot of that with, um, oh, like Miles Boykin from Notre Dame, I think is another really intriguing guy. You could probably get him um, on like the third round or whatever. Manuel Hall from Missouri, really intriguing elite athlete, great speed, deep threat. Um, but there's some holes in his game that make you think he could fall a little bit. But um, so my point is, I think there's there's fewer top tier safeties in this class. So I think if you want to get a good safety, um, that early second round range, I think there's going to be some very intriguing guys in there. Taylor Rapp, Jonathan Abram. If you want strong safeties, I think those guys are really, really good. Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is kind of like a nickel corner he's like a nickel corner safety hybrid and i think he has a lot of potential um and then you know nasir adderley from delaware deontay thompson alabama uh darnell savage i think has been going up people's draft boards lately and then juan thornhill all those guys are going to be i i think probably in that late first mid early mid second round area and so um if you want to get one of those guys you're probably gonna have to get on it all right, let's let's finish with this. Since you're a Seahawks guy, give us give us your your quick 2019 Seahawks take and and how you <laughs> think they're they're looking this year because because it looks like the oh, NFC man. West is going to be a bunch of fun, particularly if the Seahawks end up taking Kyler Murray. <laughs> or sorry, the uh, the Cardinals. <laughs> right, Kyle, edit that. Um, that, <laughs> that that just I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> uh, man, the Seahawks. So like, I have the same feeling about the Seahawks as I did I think last year where. I could like their floor to me is like a seven, eight win team um, who, if things go right, could win 10 games. I think that's kind of how I view the Seahawks. Um, you know, last year, the, they I, I feel like things did really go right for them for the most part. I mean, like their run game really started clicking. Um, Wilson was just unstoppable passing the ball deep. I don't know if he can hit that type of, type of efficiency again next season. I think that to me is the biggest question mark because if they're going to be what they they 
you know, want apparently want to be, which is a really, really run heavy team that, that takes a bunch of deep shots. It's, I think it's really contingent on Wilson being that, you know, efficient and deadly downfield. And I don't know if he can recreate that. I mean, if you look at Tyler Lockett had a perfect, when he was targeted, it was a perfect pass rating last year. That's why. I mean, so can you recreate that? Especially if Doug Baldwin's like falling apart, his body's just falling apart at this point. Um, so like my, so basically if they're going to keep doing what they want to do, which is run the ball more than any other team in the NFL, potentially, um, I think it's absolutely contingent. Their success is absolutely contingent on them being able to hit those deep shots too. And I'm a little bit worried that about them being able to be quite as efficient next year. You know what I mean? I think it's just, I could see them regress in that area and then like sort of just regress everywhere after that, if that makes any sense. So um, I'm a little bit worried about, them sort of just hitting their peak and in that that run heavy offense last season fellas i lied earlier i do have one more question yes Uh, but i did i did caveat (laughs) my last question with that i might have another Uh, (laughs) i'll allow it yeah thank you yes uh danny what's your hottest draft take (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'm not gonna get in trouble um so i this isn't like super hot of a take but I like uh, Cleland Furl from from Clemson a lot more than I think most people do. In fact, I like I so I've got Cleland Furl and Brian Burns above Josh Allen on my list, and I think that might be like my hottest take or whatever. It's not oh, like wow. it's a huge hot take because it goes five, six, seven, those three, and I think it's a a very slim margin between each of them. But um, to me, Farrell. And I, I always say his name wrong. I, th- I believe he pronounces it Furl. Uh, Furl, Burns, and Allen are all very unique players. And like Furl's high high floor, little bit lower ceiling probably. Brian Burns has maybe the highest ceiling of any pass rusher um, in that group, but he's he's got a lower floor just because he was really light in college. I think he's really really explosive, really flexible. Um, the way he moves gives him an immense upside but he's got quite a bit lower floor and then i think josh allen to me is just somewhere in the middle where i think he's going to be a really good player and they could use him you know in a lot of number of roles in the sense like he could be an outside linebacker in a three four he's dropping back into coverage a lot and things like that but he's less to me he's less of a pure pass rusher so is that hot enough for you yeah that was good that was strong (laughs) so if you're looking for like a pure pass rusher i almost like furl and burns more is is kind of my point Wow. That's fair. That's a good, that's a really good hot take. I appreciate Thank you. that. Thank you. I'm sure I'll probably look really stupid in two years, but that's, <laughs> now, that's what I'm going with right now. My favorite thing about it is it wasn't contrived. You weren't like David Montgomery, number one overall, like something like insane <laughs> like that. So no, that's good. Yeah, yeah, Danny, I got, we, we definitely want to thank you for coming on being the first guest ever on the, uh, on the yes. Candace Chronicles podcast. I met Danny in that gigantic room in the convention center in <laughs> Indy at the, uh, yep. at the combine and, He's sitting there that the other 49ers beat writers are like a row behind him or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's Danny. Like, I, I have a Seahawks defense question. Super, super friendly and approachable. And uh, and so we definitely appreciate you coming on. And why don't you plug your stuff? Uh, yeah. So obviously the big my big project during the draft is a, the NFL draft guide at the ringer dot com. Going to have another update this week. Uh, we got mock draft coming up and there's a big, huge team needs section that we did that we updated last week. So. Um, kind of a one-stop shop for for the NFL draft. You should check it out because number one, I've put a lot of work into it. Number two, it looks really <laughs> awesome, which I have nothing to do with. It's our <laughs> design team. 
It does um, look really good. Our design team is awesome. So I just the way that you can kind of sort through it and everything is really, really cool. I can't take credit for that, but um, I'm going to kind of take credit for it because it's my draft guide. Um, <laughs> and also Rob Ramey's put together a team needs section. That's really dope. So um, overall, I'm really proud of that. And so I appreciate it if you check it out. Yeah, it's where I get all my thoughts from. Like I just. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, D- Danny, Chris, Chris wanted to thank you. And I wanted to just say uh, you're welcome. <laughs> for for, <laughs> for your your impending raise uh once you once you alert your bosses that that you're on this podcast so well, uh quick thank quick question not football related before we wrap this up how many um minor league baseball caps do you have oh man um so i got a jackson generals hat which is not even so i'm i'm, I'm trying to collect all the mariners minor league teams okay. generals aren't even the mariners minor league team anymore but i like the hat so much i just keep wearing it and then okay. I've got a Tacoma Tigers hat and a Rainier's hat. So I think three. No, and oh, I have three. another. Okay. I have another. I have two uh, Rainier's hats. So I got four. I thought okay, I, nice. I thought this is about to turn into another 40 minutes of talking minor league <laughs> hats because I have a bunch of them. Oh, man. Kyle's uh, got a legendary taco hat. Where's that one from? Or what's the what team is that? Uh, the Fresno Grizzlies. They play on Tuesdays right. as the Fresno Tacos. And they have a hat right. with the taco. The Fresno Tacos. Yeah, it's great. It. I was just telling my buddy I need to get I might get an updated Mariners like just a regular Mariners cap because it's finally um, they're they're actually kind of worth being proud of at this point. Yeah, they're good. They're really good. Well, they probably won't remain good all season, but right now it's kind of fun. They're like hitting dingers all day. It's awesome. I think they have like more home runs than any team in in the majors or something. I believe that's the case. (laughs) Which is insane. That's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Before we veer too far into the baseball conversation, <laughs> yeah. we're going to wrap this thing up. Thanks, guys, for listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to Danny Kelly of The Ringer for coming on, and we will talk to you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.